0: Amen. It's important to pour into the next generation. Amen? Amen. When I think of, of my assignment here over this past, last week and this week, <laughs> talking about relationship and fellowship, I think of pouring into the next generation. Got a couple examples. But we need to look at those kids and pour life into them. Amen? Share life. Amen? Amen. We need to share life. Life. Pour life into them. Encourage them. Tell them how awesome they are. If you see a kid that seems to be so rambunctious, say, man, you've got energy. That's awesome. And encourage them. If you see a kid bouncing around just... Or stubborn, Talk about uh, God's given you some perseverance. Amen. Press in, pursue, but encourage these kids. Amen. 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 I, as I was just preparing for this week, um, I just I want to highlight um, two or three specific examples in, in God's word about where someone came along and encouraged someone came and shared life and i want to demonstrate the power of of positive fellowship on your brother or your sister or your spouse or your son or your daughter but I want to just go over a couple of the points from last week. And I want to just kind of go through my notes. I, you know, you go home and then you go through your notes and, oh, I missed that. I forgot that. I didn't say that. So I want to just kind of just go briefly over some of my notes just to build up to a couple of the, 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 the uh, examples I have today. But one thing is so important is we need each other. We need each other. That's why God puts the, he says, God put the lonely into families. God put the lonely into families. Why? Because we need each other. Why? Because life is exchanged through fellowship, through interaction. Life is shared. So we need each other. Sometimes it's a sacrifice, sometimes you might not feel like it. but it's a sacrifice, but it's important. And there's fruit out of the sacrifice. It takes time, it takes effort. I know sometimes in, I know when I was dating my wife and she's not here, so. I have free reign this morning. No, <laughs> no, no. But I remember when I couldn't wait to get to school to see her. Because I wanted to be with her. I wanted to talk to her. Then we got married. Awesome. A couple years. Then we got children. And life kind of finances. Children. Um, I was going through school. And things can wear on you. But it's important to keep relationship going. And so it took time. And it took effort. It took saying, okay, I know there's all kinds of pressure, and I know I got to work 10, 12, 14 hours a day, I know, but it's important to take time for relationship and continue building relationship. Keep investing in each other, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your children, whether it's a friendship. It's important to put that time and effort to build. Build, Amen. Pastor David, when he introduced our subject of one another and talked about family, sometimes it's messy. Sometimes we have to deal with issues in in relationship, in interaction, because as we know, we're human, and humans make mistakes, and humans make missteps. So sometimes it can get messy, and that's what forgiveness is about. That's what mercy is about. Amen. So those are some. I, I I wanted to look up the word fellowship. I, I went into fellowship in the Bible, and it, the word is koinonia, and it means association. It means community. Means communion. It means joint participation. It means intimacy. All those words go into fellowship. I wrote the big a big word in capitalization that just says interaction. Interaction is critical to our life. Because we need (laughs) I'll keep going back because we need each other. Because we need each other. Because we need. I when I was studying fellowship, I noticed uh, 1 John chapter 1. If you want to write that down, the whole chapter is great. But it tells us the first fellowship that we experience is with the Father. And with the Son Jesus Christ, salvation. He brings us into fellowship with Himself. I, you know what? I, I'm just going to read it because I, I love God's Word and just try to take some stuff out of there. It's hard. So, this is John, and it sounds very begin, uh, very similar. Some of his language to the 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 Gospel of John, but this is First John one one. What was from the beginning, what we heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at, and what we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was manifested. In the beginning was the word, and the word became flesh. If you go back to John 1. And we have seen, and we testify, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and which was manifested to us. Amen. It's up there. You're following along. Good. And what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. If, if our fellowship with God is intact, it's going to go a long way to helping our fellowship with each other. Because we have been, we have all been brought in as when we get saved, we get brought into the fellowship with, with God Himself. And then with all of us, with all of us in fellowship with God Himself, we become connected with each other. So fellowship with each other is is just an outflow of our fellowship with God. And when that initial fellowship was initiated, it was an exchange of life. We became born again and life. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life. And when that in- initial fellowship was enacted, the f- God himself to us, life was exchanged. And when we exchange fellowship with each other, there should be life that is exchanged. Amen? Life with life. Here's a great indicator of your fellowship with each other. If it's not building, you need to be careful. If life is not exchanged, you need to be careful. Amen? Yeah. Does, that, does, that, does that ring a bell? Or does that make sense? There's a lot of relationships that go south. Why? Because bitterness and complaining and murmuring. Just think of the children of Israel. They murmured and they complained. And what irritated God so much? They're they're murmuring and they're complaining. So a key to fellowship with each other is evaluate how you feel after now, if you're a, a, in a mentoring position and you're mentoring somebody, sometimes, yeah, some information exchanged, you can feel drained or exhausted. But if you're fellowshipping with somebody and at the end of it, you feel disturbed, you feel drained, you feel unsettled, you need to evaluate. Amen. You need to evaluate that fellowship, because fellowship, as I mentioned last week, it is a key to your destiny. Who you associate with is a key to your destiny. Amen? Amen. Amen. Is this making sense? I want to be on the same page with each other. We strengthen each other, we encourage, we sharpen each other. I mentioned that last week. Sometimes with sharpening each other, we can get on each other's nerves. <laughs> and opportunities for offense can happen. And I said that's when forgiveness kicks in, and mercy and understanding and grace for each other. I had mentioned uh, as a result uh, uh, this interaction fellowship, becomes critical for our growth. As a result, managing this interaction is critical. Don't just grant access to anybody. God gave us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, one of his his leading characteristics is discerning, discernment. And so when you fellowship, when you interact, when you build a friendship, ask the Holy Spirit for discernment. to know know which level which level of interaction this is going to be at. Amen? Amen. Your inner circle, it influences you. People that are close to you will influence you. And how they influence you will influence your decisions. Influences your decisions. And your decisions affect your destiny amen your decisions influence your destiny so when you're looking at your inner circle your close associations your close fellowship who you exchange life with evaluate it because it influences you it influences your attitude your attitude influences decisions decisions affect your actions we had, um, well, some of this works for humans. We had, we had have you ever noticed you have a, one dog? And it'll listen to you. It'll obey you. It'll be good. But you put it in a pack of four dogs. And none of them listen to you. And they just run and run and go crazy. And, and it's hard to manage them. Well, friendships... I had a, a, a group of friends, and one guy said, "Hey man, let's do blah, blah blah." Oh yeah, that sounds awesome. And two of them will start moving towards whatever that was going to be, and all oh, the rest three or four kind of follow. And we can sometimes get caught up in an emotional decision, in an emotional event, and we can make decisions, we can make choices that affect our destiny. And that's why we have to manage and evaluate our fellowship. Amen? Yes. Amen, this is making sense. Qualify those. I, I've done some marriage counseling, and when a couple gets engaged, their, their two roads of life start kind of, they should, anyways, start kind of going in the wrong, the same, so the wrong direction, <laughs> the, the same direction. When you evaluate friendships and fellowship, evaluate: Am I going in the same direction as this person? Amen. Amen. Evaluate, qualify. They're going. If they're not going in the same direction, it doesn't mean you just say, "I can't be your friend anymore." (laughs) There's a level of friendship and acquaintance, and how you doing? There, there is a... I'm not telling you, everybody, that you have to just go out and start laying the axe to, to <laughs> friendships and uh, things. I said, evaluate. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom. Ask the Holy Spirit. Okay, pray about it. Usually that does wonders if you listen and obey. <laughs> Because usually if we, you know, if we ask God to speak, he'll kind of give us hints and clues, and he'll speak. So qualify those you're going to go down the road with. My father-in-law, Pastor Nelson, one of his favorite lines was, I ain't going down that road. Is that true? We ain't going down that road. So evaluate evaluate, find out which road you're heading, which road they're heading, and say, okay, I ain't going down that road. Are your associations, are your, is your fellowship, are your friendships producing life or death? Amen? Yeah. Amen. Because, I said, is it producing life or death? Because interaction and fellowship produces something. It produces something. It produces something. If you want to grow wise, spend time with the wise. Uh, Paul said, evil companions corrupt corrupt good morals and character and manners. So even Jesus said, Take care of what you listen to because with the same measure, by your standard of measure, it will be measured back to you. So if you're going to go full throttle into a relationship that's going to go the wrong way, full throttle, the same measure, you're going to reap. And that was Mark 4. Amen. Wow, wow. I'm just going through my notes like crazy. (laughs) Fortunately, they're only last week's. (laughs) But they apply to my examples this week, so it's good to build this foundation again. The associations you choose will determine whether you win or lose. That's Dr. Mike Brown. Do you know that Satan counterfeits what God does? So relationships that God uses to build, Satan can bring relationships along that are for your destruction. I went through a couple of those examples last week. Think of Samson. What an amazing, amazing destiny God had for him. But he went into the wrong associations. Now a real quick one that probably jumped out at people. Can you imagine the guys in the boat with Jonah? Said, "Whoa, who did we let onto our boat?" (laughs) Uh, We talked about Raabom's son. Wise counselors, uh, the young and the foolish. Counselors and went. This past week, it's it's so it's interesting how you know I said God because I had a, a, you know a couple examples that we're, we'll get to that I had talked about in the, in the past and that I had used examples in the past um, whether I'm having coffee with somebody or with the youth. I said God, what would be a really great example. And uh, I started, I read the book of Ruth. It's amazing when you start reading something that God kind of directed you towards, because at first uh, I thought, oh Lord, you know, Ruth, yeah, that's, everybody uses that example, and, or I've heard messages on that. But I, I decided, okay, well, I'll read the book of Ruth. It's amazing how things just boom. And and so I, I just I, I titled my page Lessons from Ruth. Because just right from the very first verse, which had nothing to do with Ruth, um, it was just Amazing what God was showing me. And I, so I just want to go over a few lessons from Ruth. Obviously, I think we, most of us know the story. If you don't know the story of Ruth, put your hand up. Good, everybody knows the story. And uh, so I just want to read some of the stuff, because, and I'm just going to start reading, and, and as I read it a little bit, I'll just commentate on what I read, and, some of the things that really just came alive. And it came to pass, and it came about, so this is just Ruth 1-1 and um, Korah. If you, if you just throw that up as I read, that would be great. It came about in the days when the judges governed. So this is before King David. What did it say about what the people did in the days of Judges? About three or four times in the book of Judges, it says the people did, so just think of the era here that we're talking about. That there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. Now, I'm, so, sometimes I'll just click on every word and just see what the with the Strong's Concordance. Do you know where Elimelech, uh, Elimelech, yeah, Elimelech, was the gentleman's name. You know what he left? Just think. He left Judah. How many of you know what Judah means? Leah had Judah as a baby and says, now I will praise the Lord. And so she named her son Judah. Judah means praise, means worship. They left the land. Now, think of this in the context of what happened in their life. What happened in their life when they left? They left the land of praise. And how many of you know what the word Bethlehem means? pardon me house of, bread. house of bread they left the word just think about that just sometimes we can feel like we're in a dry season famine and what do we do we just abandon we just abandon We give up the word, we abandon our praise, and we just isolate from where we should be. That's just verse one. I'm laying. I said, you know, I I came running out of my room. I said, Brenda, you can't believe what this. And I and then I went back in. I went verse two. (laughs) But listen. Praise will be my song. I cannot. When we abandon our praise, where where does the Lord say he comes and inhabits? He inhabits the praises of. It doesn't mean that if you stop praising that, all of a sudden God's gone. But there's a certain aspect and dimension of God's presence that happens in, in in the midst of your praise. And so whatever you might be going through, don't abandon praise. Amen. And don't abandon, it says the house, of the, the house of bread. Don't abandon God's word in your life. Amen. Whether that's uh, your devotional life, whether it's the promise of God, the word that he's planted in your spirit. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, the, uh, the Peter when, when Jesus was asking the disciples, who do men say that I am? You know, they all said that they believe you're this. The, and then Jesus said, but who do you say I am? And, and Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And it, Jesus that's revelation. That didn't come from man or your just thoughts. That came from the Father. That was revelation. A few chapters later, Jesus pre- preaches a real challenging sermon and says everybody abandoned him except his 12, and, and Jesus kind of looked at them and said, are you going to leave me too? And you know what, you know what uh, Peter said? He stuck with the word that was embedded in his heart. He says, where else can we go? You have the words of life. Wow. The revelation, that, that word that God implanted in him is what kept him grounded, kept him there in his place. In fellowship with, with Jesus. And so don't abandon the word that God has embedded in your spirit, into your heart. Don't imba- ab- abandon his word. Because things went from bad to worse for, for this family. But there was a famine, there was dryness, there was, there was lack, and they just said, okay, well, I guess God has abandoned us, and they left. They left. Amen. You receiving this this morning? Yeah. Amen. Amen. The name of the man, verse two, was Elimelech, which means God is my king. E L is God, uh, so God is my king. And the name of his wife Naomi, which means pleasant. They left. The names of their two sons, and this is where I kind of was just kind of clicking on names. Um, Malon and Chilion. Do you know what their name? Is? I don't know what kind of mindset the parents were in. But Malon means sickness, <laughs> and Chilion means wasting away. Can you? Wow. But so, yeah, you know, there must have been some challenge at times. I don't know. Wow, anyways, that, I mean, there's, there's a, a sermon packed in there somewhere for everybody. Then, and they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of one was Orpah, the name of the other was Ruth, and they lived about 10 years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died, and the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. Wow. Now there's a sermon in there I don't want to get into it too, about labeling. Be careful what you speak over somebody. Be careful the words that come, the labels you want to put on people, the, the stereotyping you want to throw out at people. Be careful what you say. But in the case of these three women, the, the widow at that time in Israel spoke of loss, of desolation, of emptiness. It, Naomi, a little later in the chapter we're going to get to, says, you know what, I went out full, I came back empty. I don't know if any of you ever feel like that, that you're in a time of famine, that, yes, I was blessed here, now I'm going through emptiness. The the, the other words that are descriptive of the life of of a widower, mournful, poverty, poverty, the 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 loss not only of the companionship and the social and the, the, the social aspects of support, but the economic, the poverty. Because the the breadwinner was gone. She had these the women, they left their families. They attach themselves to their husband, and then all of a sudden, the husband is gone. So not only the companionship, but literally they live in in desolation and in poverty. They they lose inheritance rights. Do you ever feel like the promise of God, that inheritance, is gone? What is I? What do I have left? I'm going through this dry season. It's just famine, and promises of God, where are they? This will never, David, David anointed king on the run from Saul says, you know what? Saul's going to kill me. Literally the opposite of what God had spoken over him and anointed him for through Samuel, the prophet, the man of God, like no one higher than Samuel at that time anointed him to be king, and he spoke these words, now Saul is going to kill me. The inheritance that God had spoken over him. Do you ever feel like sometimes that's so far away I I can't even imagine it anymore? Here is where Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah were at. The, The famous words now, um, Naomi wants to send them back. She, she rises up, she's going to go back to Judah, so that's a great decision. Go back to Bethlehem, go back, get back to the word, get back. So she departs, verse seven, from the place where she was, and her two daughter-in-laws with her, and they, re- they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, "Go return each of you to your mother's house." May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you find rest, each in the house of her husband. So go find new husbands and find rest. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said, both of them, no, but we will surely return with you to your people. But Naomi said, no, return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Return my. So she's looking at these daughters and saying, "You know what? You're young enough to get married again. If you wait for me to have a couple more boys, you're not. You're going to be. There's going to be this age difference, and uh, you're going to be waiting a long time." Is what she's telling them. So return. For I am too old to have a husband. If I said I have, if I say I have hope. If I should even have a husband tonight and also bear sons, where would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? You know my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. Now we're going to see some other words. When you're in a crisis, you need to be careful because quite often in a crisis, your judgment is impaired. I wrote a few things. Naomi had lost perspective. Who is the author of death? Not God. Yes. In the Garden of Eden, what would have happened if Adam and Eve had not sinned? Would death have come? Would destruction have come? So the author of death and destruction and stealing is the thief, not God. And so one of the principles I learned in Bible school is some people in the Bible may say things that are not accurate about God because God is recording their words. But it's not true doctrine. They're words that we analyze and say, okay, Ruth, I mean, Naomi here, was speaking out of desperation, speaking out of pain, speaking out of loss, and because of that crisis in her life, she lost perspective. Amen? Do you hear me? Do you understand? A crisis can cause a loss of perspective. Here, she was about to send her two daughters away, And the only support, the only fellowship, the only friendship, she was ready just to push them away. Get back to my theme of one another. Sometimes a person is going through a crisis, and what do they want to do? They want to turtle. They want to isolate. They push people away. If you're going through a crisis, you must be careful because you can be very vulnerable. And you push people away, and you'll accept words and advice that's not healthy. You'll push people away. You'll isolate yourself and make yourself more vulnerable in your vulnerable state. And here is Naomi in the middle of great, I mean, incredible loss. I could not imagine her loss at that point in time. And she's pushing away, isolating, and saying, no, I'm just, just leave me alone. And she's misinterpreted, lost perspective, and uh, saying, this, this is how God has dealt with me. What does Paul says? Paul says that, And Pastor David quoted it this morning. God makes all things work together for good. The enemy, remember Joseph's story. The enemy, Joseph said, you know what? The enemy meant this for evil. But God turned it around and caused good to come. Why? Because God is a good God. God is a God of life. A God of abundance. Jesus' words. I've come that you will have life and that you have it abundantly. What did he what's the line above that? The thief comes but to steal, to kill and destroy. Evaluate I'm I've I come from a background where a big thing to me is evaluate. Evaluate. Look at things. Evaluate what's producing life? What's producing death? Evaluate got to keep moving, but Naomi was in a vulnerable state, and so we, she is pushing, pushing away, and they lifted up, I'm going to get back to the word here, Uh, verse 14, they lifted up their voices and wept again because of the words of of Naomi, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung, got to love the words that are coming out, but Orpah means gazelle, what is gazelle, when you think of a gazelle, what do you think of? Bouncing, but usually away. A gazelle doesn't bounce towards you. I've never seen a gazelle bounce towards me. I've seen a few of them. They're, they run away. So there's a great picture of orbit. Do you know what Ruth means? Anybody have an idea of what Ruth's name means? Pastor David, wow, you've been studying Oh, you're cheating. Oh, you? <laughs> Ruth's name means friendship. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? So here we have one person that leaves and one person that clings. Uh, now, I want you to get a picture of the relationship now that happens. And a lot of these often make up vows in a wedding, and I think we all know them, but this is what Ruth says. Verse 16, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts me and you. Now, that is strong. That's, she is literally marrying herself to her mother-in-law. Incredible. But that is a picture of covenant relationship right there. I hope that through our series of one another, being members one of another, encouraging, caring for one another, consider one another, being fam- I hope you get a picture of covenant relationship because this relationship covenant re- goes beyond family. That's that's Ruth had the opportunity to go back to her family Orpa did Ruth had the, she said, No, I'm in covenant with you. And in your despair, I'm sticking with you. In your down and out condition, where you have, I'm gonna stick with you. She knew the picture she was getting into. She needed to support her mother-in-law. She could have went like Orpah and and got married again and been supported. But she says, no, I'm sticking with you in your time of need, in your time of despair, where, where you have literally no hope. I'm sticking with you. And not only that, I'm going to support you. That is a powerful relationship. That is powerful. I, I, because of time, you know, you know, you know why Boaz chose Ruth? Because he didn't have to. He didn't have to. And the next chapter is amazing. Naomi gets back to Jude. I'm going to tell the story now. I don't have time to read it and commentate. When they get back, she had a kinsman redeemer. But she didn't say anything about him. She had help, but didn't take it. In verse 2, verse 1, verse 2 of chapter 2, it says, And Ruth said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean And she didn't go to Boaz's field because she didn't know about him. Naomi didn't say anything about the Savior. And she goes and gleans in somebody else's field. And then as she's gleaning, she goes across the the road and ends up. It happens that she goes into Boaz's field. And God makes this connection. But... Verse 8, because Ruth now, Boaz comes there and says, Who are you? Right? What are you doing? And Ruth, um, verse 7, she says, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Boaz, verse 8, Boaz says to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go to glean. In now listen to the words. Boaz is a picture of our Savior. So listen to his words and connect them with the words of Jesus here. Do not go to clean in another fields. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the fields which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, Go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. Then she fell on her face, verse 10, bowing to the ground and says, why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? I I mean, uh, powerful. Moaz replied, Boaz, sorry. Verse 11. Listen to this. All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me and how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know all that has been reported to me may the lord reward your work and your wage The power of a covenant relationship. The power. The power of of fellowship. In light of the good, in light of the bad, and not giving up on a person because they're down and out. And maybe they have nothing to offer you. Naomi had nothing to offer Ruth, and yet she said, no, where you go, I'm going. I'm going to support you. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to, chapter 2, verse 2, I'm going to go out and glean in the fields and support you. And through that covenant relationship, she happens upon Boaz. Boaz. Then she goes back to her mother-in-law and and reports on what's happened. And then that triggers something in Naomi. God has not forgotten. God has not forgotten. The power of your relationship, of your covenant relationships, will bring life. And it says, Naomi then remembers, he's our kinsman redeemer. Redeemer. And she gives her daughter-in-law instructions. And Ruth says, whatever you say, I will do. And she goes and follows the instructions of her mother-in-law. And we know how Boaz then comes and redeems the property. Comes and redeems Ruth. And... And all of a sudden, the women of the town are blessing Naomi. (laughs) They're singing and praising the Lord, and they're blessing Naomi. And it says that she took the baby, Obed, in her arms and began to nurse him. And God returned fruitfulness through covenant relationship, through covenant fellowship, God returned fruitfulness to Naomi, established the line that of Ruth and Boaz, and out of that came King David. I'm leaving a lot of emptiness in there. <laughs> but the power of covenant relationship Pastor Sean shared of Jonathan. That was one of my examples. Jonathan coming to David. And it says that Jonathan encouraged means strengthened him in the Lord. Gave him strength to endure and to keep going. There was no competitiveness there. There was no rivalry there. Jonathan knew David was going to be king. And he said, David, I'm going to stand with you. I'm not going to stab you in the back. He says, I'm going to stand with you. I will be there in your court. I will be with you. That was covenant relationship. If you read the chapters from about 16, 17 through to 23. Jonathan they were, and David were in covenant and they strengthened each other. They cared for each other. They encouraged each other. The other examples... One of the most amazing transitions that we see was David to Solomon. I, I, I talked about Solomon to Rehoboam, and it was a disaster. Shared that last week. But David to Solomon, First Chronicles chapter 22, David takes Solomon aside, starts sharing, you know what, I wanted to build this temple. God says, No, you're a man with blood on his hands. Your son is going to. Solomon, David had the riches. David had the means. David had the opportunity to build it and take the glory for it. He passed it to his son and said, Now, son, and you see them mentoring his son, saying, Son, I've laid all these things aside. I've made these plans. It's the, You can see the scripture verses. I look at these plans. I mean, he turns to his advisors and he says, my son is going to be taking my place. You teach him, you show him, you strengthen him and you help him build this temple. Covenant relationship and out of it came the most spectacular moment of praise and worship when Solomon dedicated that temple and the presence of God came. And it says the ministers couldn't even stand out of covenant relationship the powerful presence of God. Ruth and Naomi, covenant relationship, the amazing inheritance. What was lost weeks before because of covenant relationship that was initiated by Ruth and then returned by Naomi, covenant relationship and inheritance was gained, was gained. It was lost. It was gone. They had nothing. But because of covenant relationship, inheritance out of covenant relationship came amazing presence of God. Amen. And the last example I want to share as I close Jesus calling, saying, follow me and I will make you. I'll make you fishers of men. I will make you to become fishers of men. I have a whole page on what it means to follow. I'm going to give you just a highlight. The, the titles. To follow means, and listen to this progression, Means to follow, means to join and to accompany. The disciples initially came and they joined Jesus and they just accompanied him. They listened to him. He taught them. Then the second phase of to follow means to be in line to succeed. They built a relationship. Then they joined him to become, a, to, to join his side, like to be on his team. From following and accompanying to now being on his team and ready to succeed. And then the final phase, it says, to cleave steadfastly to, to conform wholly to his example. By the end of that covenant relationship that they were experiencing, they conformed wholly to the one they were following, that they were in relationship with. And not only were they ready to succeed, but they built upon What Jesus Christ had done. Covenant relationship. Being one of another. Are you a member of each other? Last week we had a couple amazing testimonies. We rejoice together. Amen. Are you rejoicing with those? Are you rejoicing with each other in what God is doing? Are you sharing life, encouraging what God can do for one, He does for another? It's a biblical principle. It's not wishful thinking. But exchange life. The exchange of life will build an inheritance. You'll invite God's presence to come and, and, and just empower your endeavors Amen. Covenant. Covenant. Where you go, I go. Where you stay, I will stay. We'll serve God together. We'll be with each other through thick, through thin. I'm willing to support you if you have a bad day, a down month, a bad year. I'll be there. Amen? Man, that's what God's calling us to. Be members, one of another. Fellowship, be in relationship, encouraging, caring, lifting each other up. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. Amen. Mm-hmm. Don't leave praise behind. <laughs> Don't leave praise behind. Don't forsake his word. The word over your life. The word of life. Those those prophetic promises that God has spoken over you. Don't forsake them. Don't give up on them. Pursue them. Find somebody else to share it with. So that you can strengthen each other. That you can lift each other up. That you can go and encourage and strengthen each other in the Lord. And share life with each other. Get together, not to complain. Not to... I need to be careful, but not to to tear down, but to build up, build up, build up, build up. Sometimes you got to carry somebody, take them by the arm and help them through. But God is calling us and has an amazing destiny. Amen? How many of you have an amazing destiny over your life? I do. I do. And I want to share your your destiny with you. Not to steal any of the glory from God, but to push you forward. Push you forward into what God is calling you to. Amen. 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 Let's stand and close. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word, oh God, that just has stories of life that we can look at. And Lord, this morning, just embed, impart into each one a revelation of fellowship, a revelation of covenant relationship. A revelation of the life-giving power of connecting with our brother and our sister. Lord, let us share life. Let us choose life. Let us choose life today. And share that life. Lord, as we fellowship and and as we have been brought into fellowship with you and we fellowship with each other, let us share your life, your hope, your destiny for each of our lives. Let us share that with each other and truly become members one of another. And everybody said, Amen. amen, amen. God bless you. God bless you. Have a great afternoon.